Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Let's pray. God our Father, we are bold to ask for your blessing upon our thinking now as we sit, we open your word. We are open before your word. And we pray, O oh God, that you would unblock ears that so easily become clogged up and deaf to your living voice. Speak to us and touch us afresh, we pray this morning, as we prepare to come to the communion table. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was horrified when I um, saw the title that I'm supposed to be speaking on this morning. I'd been away all week and had completely forgotten that that was the title. I've been up uh, looking after my aged father, uh, who is uh, somewhat decrepit, but um, has still, although he's deaf, an extraordinary sense of humour. We were driving down a road in the Yorkshire Dales, and we passed an old pub called the George and Dragon. And he says to me, there was, um, I don't know whether it's a true story or not, but he claims anyway, that there was a, a salesman who was travelling around, had nowhere to stay, so but very late at night, turned up at this pub and banged on the door. And in fact, the lights were out. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and, and uh, the, he thought the Jordan Dragon would be a good place to stay. And th- there was nobody answering downstairs, and an upstairs window flew open, and a woman stuck her head out in, in curlers and with an extremely fierce face and gave him an absolute earful for disturbing them at that time of night. And she went on and on and on, and eventually she drew back, and, and the poor salesman downstairs said, could I have a word with George now, please? <laughs> My father may be um, unsteady on his legs, but will have his sense of humour intact probably until the day he dies. Anyway, um, what we're going to look at is the passage that was set for today, even though um, you may, and I'm admitting it right at the start, you may wonder what this has got to do with the title. Very little, because I'd forgotten the title. But, but what the passage has to say is inspired. The titles aren't. We have a committee that thinks up titles, and we've met, never made any claim for the titles. If um, you want to follow in, if this frightens, it does some people, and you just put up your hand, someone will bring you a Bible now, and on page 974, Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, page 974, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, yes, well done, thank you. Chris has been correcting me for over 30 years. We were at college together, and I usually got things wrong then, which is why he got a first and I didn't. Matthew 9, verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you and the woman was healed from that moment. 
When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done for you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Who are the oldest people here? I need to know. <clears throat> Vanda, Kit, Vanda, Don, we're a row over there. Vanda, Don, and Monique. Yeah. Over eight. We got over 80. Have we got any other over 80s? Well, Don, Don's pretty, Don's confessing. Guy, how old are you? Not 80 yet. Heading that way. Don't, don't begin with denial. I'm heading that way as well. How old are you, sir? He's very silent. He's not going to answer. Well, I'm going to ask Guy and Vanda, or some, who else? Yes, yes, good What? Look, oh, hello, sir. Putting your hand up. Now, I want to ask the people who are over 80. And Guy. As you think about heaven, what is it that excites you most about it? Is that Vanda? To be near God. How near? Yeah? Yeah? What else? What is it that excites you about heaven? Maybe it's not exciting at all. Don? Uh, we'll wig a lot of it. You mean like Jesus and, um, and others? David? King David. Yes. There's a number of other Davids that one could wish to see there. But King David, yes, he'll probably lead, lead the music, won't he? Doubt it, says Chris. Sorry, Chris. Oh, dancing? Was that naked before the Lord? It is amazing, isn't it, what some people are looking forward to? Seeing the Lord? Seeing the Lord face to face? Being with interesting people, yes? Any other things about heaven? I tell you something my father's looking forward to, and that's having a resurrection body. Amen, I heard. Yes, 1 Corinthians 15 says that our present body will be sown 
as something perishable, but will be raised to something imperishable. We will see the Lord face to face. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. None at all. He will wipe away every tear. And that takes some doing. But he will do it. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Anybody? Peace. Yes. As I don't. No more sin. The two are very connected. No more sin. Peter is a doctor. No more hassle. No more people ringing up in the middle of the night and wanting you to go see them about their ingrowing toenails and other things. All the work of the devil will have been finally uh, put away. No more death. New bodies. Seeing the Lord face to face. For the first time. And the work of the devil. Finally. Forever. Finished going to be good. Now, in the passage that we've just read, we've been looking at uh, the stories of a number of people, well, four incidents, basically, each one seeming to interrupt the one that's gone before. And for these different groups of people, you can see heaven beginning. It's a foretaste of what it's going to be like. Jesus had come to Galilee, and things were happening. Death was being defeated. Physical weakness was being overcome. Blindness was being healed so people could see. The destructive work of the devil was finished. Heaven begins, you see. It begins where Jesus is. Now today, as we've said, is a, is a communion Sunday. It's a day for reminders. We remember the power of the Lord, the character of Christ. We remember what we believe. We remember why we first trusted him as we come around this table. We remember why it was that we reached out in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here in these four incidents that we've read, two of them wrapped around each other and then two separate ones, uh, we see the Lord at work and we're going to go through them very quickly and then draw out an implication. First, there is a woman with a chronic menstrual disorder. She has been losing blood continuously for 12 years. In Mark's Gospel, um, chapter 5, when it tells the same story, it says that at this point she was actually getting worse. Now, a doctor, Peter, what would you expect to find as the symptoms of this? These are the words I've got written down without any collusion. And almost certainly, in, in addition to being anemic and tired and worn out, she would almost certainly be depressed. A rabbi, a Jewish rabbi of this time, would insist that she was, in addition to all those other physical problems, that she was unclean and should be shunned. If she reached out and touched someone, she made them unclean. And so, of course, she was excluded from Jewish worship. She simply wasn't allowed to go to synagogue or temple because she was unclean. And all, all her contact with other people was restricted, both in the home, in the kitchen, 
and in public. This was a terrible disability, an affliction which never left her, and it had been going on for twelve years. She had reached out to doctors, and they could do nothing for her. If she had reached out to a rabbi and touched him, he would have been furious. One touch from Jesus, and this chronic disorder that has been with her so long, is sorted. Gone. Finished. Those years of being trapped in a body that wasn't working right. Ended. Same person. Same dear woman. But now a completely new body. Freedom. Possibilities again of public, social, religious, domestic, Life starting all over again. Heavenly. Imagine what she must have felt like in the moments after she had reached out and touched the Lord. Then there was the distraught ruler, a ruler perhaps of um, a synagogue and therefore of the local community. Um, the, the civil and the religious were, were, were blended together at this point. But a ruler anyway in the community and the synagogue, and he was desperate. His twelve-year-old daughter, just beginning to flower into womanhood, perhaps, had either died or was at death's door. Please come, he said, and put your hand on her, and she'll live again. Verse 18. Just you touch her, please. That's all that's needed. And so Jesus responded immediately, stopped what he was doing, got up and went with the man. And when he arrived there, the first thing he did was to get rid of those, those professional mourners, the hired wailers that they, they used to have. It was um, the requirement of tradition to have some. The Mishnah, the, the oral traditional expositions of Jewish law, actually said that even the poorest person had to have a minimum of two flutes and one wailing woman. Jesus threw them out. Old wineskins. He didn't want the first thing that this uh, girl saw and heard when she was raised back up to life to be that group of unbelieving banshees giving off because they were paid to do it. How unheavenly that would have been. So Jesus came, and the scripture says, wonderfully, he took her by the hand, and he raised her back up into the world of the living. And my imagination says that he then led her to her father, and gave her back to him, this passionate distraught dad that had come all that way because it was the last desperate thing he could think of to do. And Jesus gave her back to him. Sorry, I get a bit emotional because I'm going to have to give a daughter away in the next summer and it, it comes to me. But the lesson of this is that even death is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God has the power to do this, to, to bring back together 
families that have been fractured by death. And he does it. And then there were these two men who were blind, and they just wanted to be able to see. In Jesus' ministry, there were more miracles of giving sight to people than any other kind of miracle. He did a number of things. There was a whole cluster of them happening around him at that time. But the one of which there was most was the giving of sight. There are no miracles of giving people sight in the Old Testament, not one. And there are none in the New Testament um, outside of the Gospels, outside of the presence of Jesus apart from the restoration of the site to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. But Jesus himself uniquely was able to make blind people see how significant. He does it still to this day, suddenly opening people's eyes to seeing themselves, their situation, their needs, and a little to begin with of what he has done for them. If we read verse 28, it says, when the men had gone in, when, sorry, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, "Do you believe I am able to do this?" It's interesting. He didn't um, ask what they wanted. He asked what they believed. What do you believe I am able to do for you? Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, they said in unison, and then he touched their eyes, and said, "According to your faith." be it done for you. That doesn't mean in proportion to your faith, so that if one of these two men believed a little more, they would see a little better. Oh, look, I can see all the way to the far horizon. Oh, I can only see to the front door. No, it doesn't mean that. It means simply in response to your faith, even with a small amount of faith. He responds to them, and at once they began to see clearly. They saw him, first of all, then they saw his friends standing around, the disciples that had come with him, and perhaps other bystanders, the onlookers, the people that were just looking, peering in. They must have thought they were in heaven. They'd never been able to see like that. And suddenly, they could see, and they saw the Lord. Incidentally, we should note that their faith hadn't learned much obedience yet. Don't tell a soul, said Jesus. So they went out and told as many souls as possible. And probably, as a result of that, made things more difficult for Jesus in that region. But it would be difficult, wouldn't it, to keep completely private and hidden what the Lord had just done, if you could suddenly see. And then there was a the man who was dumb. Somehow, it's not explained, an evil spirit had found entrance into this man and locked his tongue somehow. The dumbness was a byproduct of the work of, of Satan. And he was brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, Enough of that, go. And immediately, the spirit that was producing the dumbness left. And the man began to speak. The man, I should think, gave thanksgiving immediately, praised testimony to those that were asking him about this later in the day, he began to witness. The power of Jesus Christ over death, over chronic illness, over blindness, over the work of Satan. Four stories that we can perhaps begin to identify with as we come to a communion Sunday like this. We've been asking in our studies in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew 
over the last uh, however many weeks it is, five, six, seven weeks, um, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the key word in many of these paragraphs, don't know whether you've spotted it, but it's here today. A key word that comes up again and again and again. And it's such a simple thing, and I want to leave it with you this morning and just apply it to your heart. The key word is touch. Touch. He touched people, and something happened. Has he touched you with new life, new hope, new vision? Or has it been a long time? We know, don't we, when the Lord touches us. And it's something that we need as Christians. Regularly. In fact, everybody in their condition in the world needs that touch of the Lord. Have you been reaching out truly to touch him? As we see some here doing for energy, for power, for for restoration. This is right at the heart of true Christian discipleship. Contact with the Lord. Light imparted from him. The touch of God on your spirit. Now, you know when it's happening. That woman who reached out and touched the hem of his garment felt immediately that bolt, that, that spark of, of healing, of life within her. And Jesus too knows when we reach out and touch him. Because he stopped and he turned in that crowd. And there she was. He knew, says some of the other gospels, that power had gone out of him. Jesus knows when you last reached out to touch him in faith in this way. It's there all the way through these chapters. At the beginning of chapter 8, he touched that leper. Peter's mother-in-law, he touched her hand. That 12-year-old girl, he took her by the hand. Those blind men, he touched their eyes. In every one of these nine or ten incidents, there's either touch or there's a word. A direct word, perhaps, of, of command. And it's the touch or the word that, that does it. When the scribes and Pharisees spoke, nothing happened. People felt nothing. Their wills were not touched. Their hearts were not moved. Nothing happened. This is the thing that people are commenting on all through this passage. When Jesus spoke, demons fled. People were assured of the forgiveness of sins. Storms were stilled on lakes. His word saves people from death or from demonic oppression and brings assurance and so on. This is right at the heart of the experience of true Christian discipleship. Seeking and experiencing his touch. Listening for and obeying his word. True discipleship is contact with the Lord. It's closeness to him. Does your Bible lie unread largely? Your prayer time. Any contact? Or is it just saying your prayer? Your witness, perhaps at work or with Relatives. Any touch of Christ upon it. True discipleship is a taste 
of this reality of heaven here on earth. Lord, touch us. Touch us in our spirit. Please. We come to communion together. And this is a simple meal for sinners. It always was and it always will be until Christ comes back. The needy who know their need are all invited to come in faith and trust. To take part in a, in a meal with meaning. And there is a meal right at the heart of these chapters 8 and 9 that we've been looking at. It comes in chapter 9 verses 10 to 13. Um, Jesus is sitting at table. It's a table in the home of Matthew, who wrote the gospel. And as they sit at this table, Jesus is surrounded by many people with a past. <laughs> and, and indeed, many people with a present too. I mean, they were all still actively engaged in stuff that they probably then became ashamed of in his presence. But do you know why they came? These people with a past and, and with a present, they came because they, they knew, deep down, somehow inarticulately, they just sensed and knew that Jesus could give them a new future. And so they sat, and they listened, and they absorbed, and they took on board more than just whatever food Matthew happened to have in the house. Standing outside were the proud representatives of organized official religion, the Pharisees. They were aghast, and they muttered and complained. And Jesus answered them. He said simply, you know, it's sick people that need a doctor. I came for people just like these, seated around here. People who know their spiritual need. Who know they need help. They need explanation. They need truth. They need my unique medicine. I've come to get people like this fit for heaven. So let's come. To the table. And as we come, quietly, each in, in our own heart and mind, let's acknowledge that we, we need the Lord's touch. We need his word. We need him to do something in us and for us and through us with his own living power. We want to be true disciples in the way the Bible uh, pictures for us. God our Father, Breathe across this congregation by your Spirit as we take these simple stories from your Word and sit under them, feel their power. We don't want to duck the challenge or the message, but we want to know that we are loved by the God who sent his Son for sinners to invite them to this table now and something far greater in heaven. Prepare us, we pray, both for now and for then. For your name's sake, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.